Amen. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, worship team. You may be seated. Take your Bibles and turn this morning to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. I want to talk to you this morning for a few minutes on the subject, the table. The table. It is, it's that time, isn't it? It's, it's the time that we begin to think about Thanksgiving and all that entails. I saw yesterday, they, they had on, um, on, on one of the web pages I was looking at, they had the, the list of what is the most popular side item based on region of the country. How many of you, number one side item on your table outside of, outside of the turkey, okay, is green bean casserole? Raise your hand. Green bean casserole. Yeah, you are more than likely from the Midwest. Okay. How about mac and cheese people? Where are the mac and cheese people? Mac and cheese people, you were more than likely raised in the southeast. Cornbread people. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. Everybody knows Thanksgiving is rolls and biscuits, right? Cornbread. But for some reason, people from the southwest, cornbread with turkey, really? Not so much. I'm not feeling it. But here's what I can tell you. In everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. In Colossians, it tells us this. In, in Colossians chapter 3, it tells us, let the peace of God rule in our hearts. Let the peace of God rule in our hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. God, we come to you today and we recognize that we have reasons to be thankful. And in this moment, we, we recognize that you are the source of everything in our life that gives us reason, that gives us motivation to give thanks. We ask this morning that you would do this, that you would, that you would allow our vision to be enlarged, that you would allow our understanding to be enhanced, that you would allow our, our disposition to be influenced, that we would have full realization of all that you're doing in us to us and through us, and that we truly, from the depths of our soul, will realize why we can absolutely give thanks, and more than that, that our conduct will reflect what you're doing in our hearts. Commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. It, it's remarkable to me that we would find these words in Colossians chapter 3. 
and be thankful. In in 1 Thessalonians, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. I want you to say that with me. Give thanks in all circumstances. Try that again. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's an interesting scripture, and at times, it can be hard to reconcile. Globally, globally, we are still dealing with the aftermath of over a hundred killed, 400 injured in Paris. This week, there was an attack in Mali. There were dozens brutally butchered in Nigeria. This morning, one of the most peaceful places on the planet, Brussels, is in lockdown. It would be very easy to have a a somber disposition. The United States, a crazy man carries a sword into the Apple store in Central Park. In Titusville, a seemingly random stabbing at the Titusville airport. Maybe for you, it's not just something on the news, it's something that's a bit more personal. One of my dear friends who's a missionary in Brussels on Thursday was speaking at the seminary and and collapsed and had to be rushed to the hospital with a brain aneurysm. Ten hours of surgery. It's easy, isn't it, for what's happening in the world around us and those things that are invading our space personally, it's easy if we allow it, it's easy for things to rob our joy. When, when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus and he said, always give thanks, he wrote that with manacles on his feet. He wrote that with shackles on his wrist. If anyone has a reason to give pause, if anyone has reason to have a somber disposition, it's the Apostle Paul. The next steps down the corridor he knew might be the guards taking him away to his execution. His only bed was a hard stone floor. His surroundings, a dark, damp dungeon. It's not the first time he's faced difficulty. 
when he writes to the church at Corinth, he says this. He says, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Once I was stoned. Three times I was beaten with rods. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a a night and a day in the open sea. I'm constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have loyal, uh, labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I, I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul faced challenge after challenge after challenge. And yet repeatedly throughout the Pauline epistles, he says this, give thanks for everything and everything give thanks. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In fact, in Ephesians 5 when he says, give thanks to everything, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says that in Ephesians 5.19. Give thanks for everything. That's just a few verses after he says this. Be very careful how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity for the days are evil. It wasn't that Paul lived in some Pollyanna environment. It wasn't that grapes were falling from the sky and people were there to take care of his every need. Paul went through it. And yet he had discovered something. He had discovered something that energized him. He had discovered something that gave him comfort. He had discovered something that solidified his purpose. He had discovered something that allowed him to have a disposition that was unwavering. What had he discovered? He discovered this, that it was not his circumstances that determined his identity. That it was not the things that others did to him that would bring about his destiny. He realized that he could find his identity in Christ alone. And he could find his destiny in the constant presence of an almighty God who, even though you can't see it, weaves all things together for your good. It's the reason why, even in the midst of what seemed to be impossible situation, Paul could say under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and God could speak to you prophetically this morning, ma'am, sir, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. See, I can, I can give thanks no, no matter what's happening around me. And, and oftentimes what we'll do is here's the subtle trap that we'll fall into. We'll, we'll fall into the subtle trap of saying this. Well, I can give thanks because I can always find a good in something. Even that is a subtle trap. Well, I can find reasons to give thanks. You want a reason to give thanks? Where, where we live 
prior to becoming the pastor here, they received four inches of snow yesterday. In all things, give thanks. My parents received nine inches of snow. In all things, give thanks. Right? I can give thanks because as bad as I've got it, I don't have it as bad as that guy. And, and even that, listen, even that is a subtle trap that the enemy wants to, wants to put you in in playing the comparison game. Because here's what happens when you play, play the comparison game. Listen very carefully. In the comparison game, your primary focus is on you. Let me say that again. In the comparison game, the primary focus is on you. And so it's easy to say, well, I can be thankful because even though my life stinks right now, it's not as bad as yours. You see the danger in that, okay? The danger in that is I'm focusing on me. Me, 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 me. When, when if instead, if I allow the peace of God to rule in my heart's, that's what it says there in Colossians 3. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let the peace of God, I love the way the Amplified Bible puts it. It says this, let the peace of God umpire your heart. It's that peace of God that transcends all understanding, that guards both your heart, right, emotion, and mind, thought, in Christ Jesus. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And be thankful. True thankfulness is realized. And if, if we look here in Colossians chapter 3, we'll see this. That, that it, it, it talks about thankfulness. That this, this, this idea of gratitude or this idea of thankfulness. It's repeated over and over again in Colossians chapter 3. And, and true thankfulness is realized when I'm, when I'm devoted to a disposition of gratefulness as it relates to my attitude. That's what it says in Colossians 3.16. It says this. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. See, it all starts in, in, in where we allow ourselves to go in attitude. Gandhi put it this way. Gandhi said this. He said that you need to be mindful of your beliefs because your beliefs become your thoughts. And your thoughts become your words. And your words become your attitudes. And your attitudes become your habits or your behaviors. And your habits become your values. And your values become your destiny. It all starts with those beliefs. It all starts with those beliefs. So do I trust in the presence and the power and the peace of God to keep me no matter what is going on. Can I echo the disposition of David when he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
your rod and your staff, even the discipline that you bring to my day, God, you bring those things to me to comfort me. It all starts, it all begins with what my attitude is. That's the reason why in Ephesians chapter 4 it tells us this. It says that we were taught in, in regard to our former way of life to put off our old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and we are to be made new in the attitude of our minds. To be made new in the attitude of our minds. Put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. It starts with that attitude. It starts with that disposition. And that will filter into our our conversation. Colossians chapter 3 says this, And whatever you do in word or deed, and whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks. There's that word again, giving thanks. Let Let the peace of God rule in your heart and be thankful. Sing spiritual songs with gratitude or thankfulness. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks. Psalm 19 tells us, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. We're challenged. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Why? Because my attitude and my conversation feeds my relationships. And and is there a is there a, a, a sense of, is there a demonstration of, am I directed by gratefulness in, in my relationships? Here's what, here's what we're told. We're told this in, in Colossians chapter 3, that we're supposed to submit to one another out of reverence for God. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Why does it say there, wives, submit to your husbands, Husbands, love your wives. Now, here's the reason why. It's not because husband is greater, wife is less. It's an issue, because, and, here, and we, we know this, because the Bible says that we're supposed to submit to one another. It's, it's a response of greatest need. Men, understand this. The number one thing that your wife looks for is to be loved. Wives, recognize this. The number one need that your husband has is to be respected. And so here's what the Word of God says. It tells us this. It says that we are supposed to respond to one another or meet one another's greatest needs. And in that, as we're, as we're, as we're operating, okay, we are to do this with a demonstration of gratefulness or, or thankfulness, right? That's what Ephesians 5 says this. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Why is this, why is this important? Well, 
It's important for a number of reasons. It's, it's important not, not just because of testimony. It's important not just because of relationship. Here's what I have found. I have found this. That the Word of God always works. It, it, it is unwaveringly correct. And, and I find this interesting. That the Apostle Paul, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, in a very difficult situation, would say this over and over again. In, in, in the Pauline epistles, or what are also known as the prison epistles, which means that he wrote those while he was in prison. He says this over and over again. Be grateful. Have an attitude of gratitude. Let there be thankfulness. Give thanks in all circumstances. Let me share this with you. This is from an article entitled, Thankfulness Linked to Positive Changes in Brain and Body. And it, it says this, grateful, write it down. Think about it, talk about it. Tis the season of thanking, and not only will you spread those po positive vibrations to those around you, your health will benefit too. For those who tend to be more Grinchish than grateful, there's some hard evidence that might make you want to turn that frown upside down. A positive outlook and feelings of thankfulness have a direct and beneficial effect on the brain and body. One of the leading biological psychologists, um, a, a fellow at Duke University Medical Center, said this, if thankfulness were a drug, it would be the world's best-selling product with a health maintenance indication for every major organ system. Listen to this. Studies have shown measurable effects on multiple body and brain systems just by being thankful. It includes your, your, your mood neurotransmitters because thankfulness produces serotonin and, and neuropronephrine in, in your body. It also it enhances testosterone. It, the, 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 the social bonding hormone, oxytocin, is greatly increased when you demonstrate thankfulness. Cognitive and, and uh, um, pleasure-related uh, uh, neurotransmitters, uh, dopamine, dramatically impacted. Okay, EEG rhythms, blood pressure, and blood sugar. All in this issue of thankfulness. And here's what the Word of God says. It says this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And God has wired you, friend. He's made you to be a person who operates with an attitude of gratitude. He's made you to be an individual that understands the power of thankfulness. And science will always be correct when science agrees with Scripture. And here's what you'll find, is that when Paul says give thanks in all circumstance, science supports this because it doesn't just affect you in the relationships around you, it affects you in the disposition that you have. In fact, here's what they found this. If you will do something as simple as at the end of the day, writing down three things that you're thankful for, if you do that for a two-week period, it will have an impact on your health for six months. Why? Because it lines up with Scripture. God's designed you to be a person that has a disposition of, of thankfulness. And Jesus demonstrates this. Jesus 
Before he feeds the 5,000, he gives thanks. He gives thanks. On the surface, to the casual observer, it wouldn't make sense to give thanks. There are 5,000 people, men, plus women and children, and to feed this multitude, there is one boy's lunch. And what does Jesus do? He gives thanks. Sometime later, 4,000. What does he do? He gives thanks. After Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he makes breakfast for the disciples on the seashore. He gives thanks. On the night of Jesus' betrayal, arrest, and the eve of his crucifixion, he takes the bread and he takes the cup and he gives thanks. We often, when we come to the table, we, we focus on Jesus' word, remember. It's what is written on most communion tables. This do in remembrance of me. And I believe it's important to do that. It's important to remember. But especially in the season that we find ourselves, I think it would be good to pull back just a little bit and recognize what Jesus does because he takes the bread and he gives thanks. The Greek word that you find there when it says, and he gave thanks, the Greek word is eucharista, eucharist. In most of your mainline denominational churches and some of your more traditional churches, this is called the eucharist. Most people have no idea what it means. They think Eucharist means a wafer that tastes like styrofoam. Eucharist. Giving thanks. The very name that has been given to what we do when we take the Lord's Supper is giving thanks. I think we're able to do so when we have a a healthy understanding. 
a healthy perspective. I mentioned that we, we live in a world where our default is the comparison game. When we want to justify our activity, we'll find somebody to compare ourselves to that are engaged in a more unhealthy lifestyle than us. Right? Hey, I might not be the best guy in the world, but I'm better than that guy. Right? When we, when we want to judge how well we're doing, we'll, we'll compare ourselves to somebody who's a little less off than us. Eh, I might not have everything, but I'm living better than that guy. When we want to feel sorry for ourselves, then we'll say, how come I don't have what she has? God, if, if you love me, God, if you really care about me, why is it that she's doing better than I am? I think it's human nature to, to play the comparison game. I'm not asking you to completely eliminate that from your life. I, I would challenge you to change your frame of reference. My world was forever changed in 1997. In 1997, I had a, a little toddler of a daughter. We were talking about the timing of a second child. And we, we moved into our first home. It was a, it was a modest home really quite nice for our standards, but it was nothing big. It, it would be, when it was completed, it would be an 1,800 square foot house. But we didn't have the money to complete all of it, and so one part of the house was left unfinished, and so we moved into a 1,200 square foot house. but it was ours. Three bedroom, one bathroom, two car garage. It was modest, but we were thankful. I would have liked to have had a little bit more space in the garage. I really would have liked to have had that second bathroom. Just a couple months after we moved in, I went with a group to Nueva Guinea, Nicaragua. We were going, my understanding was we were going to build a, a church. 
I didn't realize that we actually, there were three things that we we're going to be doing. That we we're going to be building a church, that we we're going to be remodeling the local prison, which that's an interesting thing to remodel a prison in a village in Nicaragua. Um, and we're going to be building a house for the pastor. Pastor Philemon Rocha. Wonderful man. Powerful servant of God. Wife and three children. They were living in a 10-foot by 8-foot room with a dirt floor. Their family vehicle was a Kawasaki 550. It was interesting to watch them go to church, especially when it was raining. So we built him a house. I, um, I laid most of the tin on that roof. What struck me about his home, which for him was a palace, was the size. 24 feet by 26 feet. Because it was the exact dimensions of my garage. I would have liked to have had a little bit more space for my cars and my stuff. He was in awe. He never dreamed that God would so bless him with such a wonderful house. I can remember coming back from that missions trip, landing at the airport, getting into my car, driving back down my street. And thinking, what would be going through Philemon Rocha's mind right now if he was in this car? And in that moment, God said this to me. He said, Ed, I don't want you to feel guilty. Because your house is a gift that I have given you. but I don't ever want you to take it for granted. And I don't ever want you to lose the feeling that you feel right now of having this perspective. My house was the smallest in the neighborhood. It was the least expensive in the neighborhood. I, I looked at much bigger homes every day. And prior to that trip, the perspective game that I would play was this. Someday I'm going to have that. You know why? Because my God's a rewarder. My God blesses. I think the reason that, that Paul could say, 
give thanks in all circumstances is because he had learned to be content. He had learned to be content. And godliness with contentment is great gain. It's that desire to acquire that the enemy traps us in. It's that comparison game that is an insidious trap. It is that unhealthy focus that keeps us spiritually drained, relationally disconnected, and physically messed up. All across this room, there are people who are saying, it's easy for you to talk about this. You're not in the position that I'm in. And here's my hope, here's my prayer. That God can cut through the pain of your moment. Let me say that again. That God can cut through the pain of your moment. and bring peace into your situation and bring perspective to your understanding. His eye is not blind, his ear is not deaf, his hand is not short. Last week we talked about this Genesis 40 season that from time to time we'll find ourselves in. This season not of condemnation, not of abandonment, but it's a season of preparation. And in the in the time between God's promise and God's fulfillment, in, in that space between God's promise and God's fulfillment, the dream that He gives you and the destiny that sees that dream fulfilled, in, in, the, in the space in between that, it is often, in fact, it's a it's rare when it's not filled with difficulty and discouragement. And when we're in that season, okay, that sanding season, that shaping season, that preparation season, when we're dealing with the difficulties and discouragement, it's real easy for us to lose perspective. What is the gift that God has given us to help us maintain perspective? It's this. Eucharista. Giving thanks. Give thanks. Give thanks. Give thanks. And so, 
The communion table is not just about remembering what Jesus has done on Calvary. It's about reminding us of who He is. And that He never leaves us, He never forsakes us. That He is working even when it doesn't seem it, in, in, in the way that you feel, in the things that you're thinking, in the pain that you're experiencing. Even in, in, in our limited understanding, when it doesn't seem that way. His body given for you. There's healing, there's provision in the atoning work of God. His his blood that is spilt for you. There's There's nothing that can push you so far that you're beyond his voice or outside of his reach. We can give thanks. I'm going to ask those who are going to be serving communion to come.